and um, and for us to think about the individuals rather than the mere cohort, we've got Jackie Lennon, who is head of product and customer experience at Allianz Retire Plus, to uh, discuss the floor of averages. Uh, welcome, Jackie. Thanks, Matt. One, One two, two, three, four, five. I like, I like to be a little bit, bit different. And I like, like all my days to be very different. As a friend said, Shane, you're going to be 70 too. I said, you don't look like it. And I said, I bloody feel like it. <laughs> Life's not over in retirement. It's just about getting through it. Yeah. Another phase. It's really, really good. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> nice thing is I can sleep in, which is good. <laughs> Do you need some help getting that to the car or loading it in the car, sir? I've gone through my whole life being the person who who did, did think for people with loadings and helpings, and I'm, I'm very reasonably coordinated. When I was going on about my too old thing, um, they said, well, how old are you going to be if you don't do it? And that really hit me. I thought after all those years being in business, I thought I would have had plenty of money. We're not really short of money, but we're not rich. Yeah, I thought, um, oh, retirement, what do you do? But now I'm thinking, what do I do at work? almost. People look at life and the numbers mean something to them. To me the age means nothing. The problem is that you can be old in years but that your brain is young. I guess options have closed off um, and I try to fight that. Not getting a monthly wage. <laughs> That's quite hard, yeah. It's not very nice to live on a very basic income. Um, one's always rather frightened that something will happen. You keep needing money all the time and, uh, and you quite resent uh, your balance dropping. Sort of indoor, crazy indoor plant people and this, it's a Facebook group and we I know it sounds really lame, but we post up our indoor plants. I go on Facebook, but I never put anything down. Uh, we don't have pets, we're not pet people, so we don't have to show them pictures of our cats and things like that. Why wouldn't you marry again? You're in your 60s, you go on a dating site, meet plenty of women. I said, they're all uh, widows and that. And he said, well, I, I don't want someone telling me what to do. Um, I still would like to do and that sort of amazes people and I hope that I will get to do it is to walk to Canberra. Woodwork and the four-wheel driving etc that, that they they took over. And table tennis oh yes every morning that's that's my most most active thing. I go twice a week I go and do a yoga class. We do city to surf every year we do the seven bridges and so we're fit and healthy. Um, I swim I love my swimming Four days, four nights a week I play Scrabble and I play until rather late. I, th I think drifting into it is a bit like drifting into motherhood. You're going to get a big shock. I'd warn people to have a lot of interests um, and, to, and to keep active. Really, they have to be very disciplined with themselves so that they have enough savings to see them through because they're going to be living much longer. How long do I want to live for? Wow. Um, I would like to live for as long as my quality of life is good. I said to the children, if somebody rings you up 
and they say they found me on the floor dead. Be happy for me. I don't want to be sick. I'd like to live long enough to see my grandchildren get married and that. <laughs> well, probably uh, 90, another 10 years, I reckon. Oh, a year? Another year would be nice. Just one, enough time to get to Italy again. As long as possible. I really, as long as possible. I keep thinking to myself, I'd like to do 100. Uh, my friend's grandmother, she did 102, so I have to beat that. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon. Um, thanks for having me today. I wanted to share that video with you of some retirees that we met in the last month for two reasons. The first reason, I think, in a time of crisis like that, where we're having a lot of conversations about policy and statistics and numbers, it's really important to reflect on the humans at the end of that and to really focus on the people that we're trying to solve problems for. And the second reason is I wanted to highlight the difference in approach and understanding about what retirement looks like for different people. So you heard Beverly there talking about um, how she wants to walk from Sydney to Canberra. So she's at the age of 85, got these big, bold goals, which somehow she coerced me into doing a section with her. Um, we've got Anna there. So Anna's actually taken up two degrees in her retirement and she's starting a new career in creative writing therapy. Um, Philomena, our Scottish friend, she's moved from Scotland to Australia and she's also started a new career in, um, in childcare. So we've got all these people embracing new opportunities and really engaging with retirement. So retirement isn't what it used to be. It's not just about lawn bowls. It's not about, you can see here the lawn bowls membership is going down. It's about getting out, being active and being involved in the world. And what I really love about this particular slide is out of the top 10 activities for women, in there we've got martial arts as number 10. So I say go ladies, kick some butt. I think it's awesome that these women are getting out there, getting involved in new things and trying new opportunities. We heard John talking about encouraging his friend to go dating. Well, dating is, there's a lot of dating going on for retirees. Those people that are out there actually dating, you can see they're really active. Dating, 54% of them are dating once a week. I mean, that's kind of exhausting from my perspective, but like good on them. They've got heaps of free time. But we've got to stop thinking of retirement as old and dull and boring. It's actually really active and vivid and engaging. But everyone has a really different approach to it. So you also would have heard in that um, video that Shane, how long does he want to live? Well, Henny wants to live for one more year. So he's got very low expectations of what his retirement will look like. Whereas Richard, Richard wants to live to 102 to beat his friend's grandmother. So even between those people, those few people we saw there, you can see that their retirement experiences and their retirement expectations are incredibly different. So we've got to stop thinking of these people as an average cohort and a homogenous group and really start thinking about them as individuals. So what I wanted to cover off today, in addition to bringing to life some of our retirees and their stories, I wanted to talk to you about life expectancy and why using active average life expectancy isn't going to work. And then I wanted to talk to you about the danger of using average returns. But before we do that, I thought it would be good to get some engagement, make sure you're all still awake. So I've got a question for you. So which country has the most people aged over 100? Now you'll have five countries to choose from. You've got China, Japan, the US, Italy, and Australia. And I'll give you a clue. I just put Australia in there to feel good. It's definitely not Australia. 
and I'll give you my second clue, which is this is a couple of years old, so we have not factored in any of the impacts of the coronavirus. And my colleagues tell me it's too soon to make any more coronavirus jokes, so I'll just leave that there. So as you can see, we're starting to get some answers coming in. Which country do we think have the most people over the age of 100? The most popular answer by far is Japan. That actually isn't correct. So Japan has the highest rate of centenarians. I knew I was going to get that wrong. They've got 4.8 um, per 100,000 of people over 100. But just due to the size of the population, the US actually have the largest number of centenarians. So they've got 72,000 centenarians. And I put Italy in there in particular because there's been a lot of discussion globally about how Italy has an, um, an older population. And they do. They've got 25,000 people over the age of 100, and they've got the second highest rate per 100,000 in the globe of people over 100,000. But let's focus our attention back to Australia. And Australia has a, quite a high number, a surprising number, 4,800 um, people in Australia are over the age of 100. So that brings me to my second question, my second poll question. So what are the chances of a couple of people, the age 65, I forgot that bit in the question, but what are the chances of a 65-year-old couple being alive over the age of 100? So if you think about if you met a couple at that first day of retirement, they were both age 65, how many, um, what are the chances of that couple having one person over the age of 100? So this is obviously a very small number. I'm sure the actuaries of you have used the answer to the previous poll question to answer this question, and the most popular number is 3%. Well, you can actually see here in the bottom right-hand corner that there's a 7% chance that at least one couple will live, one person in a couple will be over 100. And that number doesn't actually factor in future mortality improvements. So if you start factoring in future mortality improvements, that number comes up to over 10%. So if you're thinking about an advisor's practice, they might have 100, 150 clients. That means that they've got 10 to 15 people that will be over 100. Now, I don't know about you, but I have seen very few financial plans that factor in people living to the age of 100. And if we step back a bit and even look at that age of 95, you've got a 30% chance that one person in a couple will be age 95 and over. So we really need to start thinking about longevity as a real problem. And it's not just the average life expectancy. We need to plan for much further into the future. We don't even know what future mortality improvements we're going to have. We don't know how people are going to respond, but we do know that average life expectancy is increasing and it's always surprising how long people are going to live. But let's stop and have a broader think about life expectancy and age. So I've written here that we've got two types of ages. We've got our chronological age, which is the number of times we go around the sun. It's the number of cakes you blow out on your birthday cake another candles you blow out in your birthday cake. But there's another age that's probably more important when we think about life expectancy, and that's a biological age. So thanks to advances in science, we can now measure how old a body is. And the way we measure how old a body is and the organs inside, we look at telomeres. So telomeres are actually things that are attached to the end of your DNA. And as you age, the telomeres shorten. And once they get too short, the cell can't multiply anymore and the cells start to die. So this is the ageing process. 
So you can work out someone's biological age by looking at the length of their telomeres. And this is an online service, so if you're curious, you can go and find out how old you are and how old your body is by sending off some DNA. There are other factors, though, that impact on your biological age. So it's not just how many times you've been around the sun, it's how you've lived your life. So it's things like stress, um, obesity, smoking, drinking, kind of all the fun things, they also impact on your biological age. So we all know people who look much younger than they are, who, you know, might be 60 but have the energy and um, youthfulness of a 40-year-old. So those people are on the graph below the line. They've got a high chronological age but a low biological age. And really that's where we want to be. Most of us want to be hanging out in that section where we're feeling younger than our actual age is. But I'm sure we also know lots of people who look like they've had a hard life whose biological age is a lot older than their chronological age. So they might be 40, but they're looking kind of 50 and 60 and they're old and they're tired. So that those people have the opportunity to reduce their biological age, but they're the ones above the graph. Now, if we're thinking about life expectancy and we think about um, those actuarial tables that we will base our life expectancy off that I gave you those quiz questions on, that's really just looking at chronological age. But there's so much more to that um, when we start factoring in biological age. Now, one of the key determinants of biological age is on the next slide. And I have to say, I found this incredibly depressing, but not at all surprising. There's a massive correlation between life expectancy and income. So this statistic is based on a study that was done in the US between 2001 and 2014. And what they looked at was at the age of 40, what is your life expectancy per income percentile? So there on that x-axis at the bottom, you can see you've got zero over to the left-hand side and 100% over here to the right-hand side. So the people on lower incomes are down on the left-hand side, the people on the higher incomes are on the right-hand side. They track this for men and women separately, and you can see a clear correlation between the more money you have, the longer you live. It's far more extreme for men than for women, but if you look at that blue line, you can see down at that bottom one percentile, that bottom level of income, their life expectancy at the age of 40 is 72.7 years, 73 years old. And if you go to the other end, those people at the, like, the top one percent, so the rich of the rich, their life expectancy is 87 years old. So that for men is a 15-year gap in life expectancy based on income. Now, when we think about providing advice or providing information to our members, we know what their income is likely to be. We know, particularly for advice, that we're dealing with people with those higher level of income percentiles. And we look at those life expectancy and they're much longer and much higher than the other end of the spectrum. So we really should be taking that into account when we're thinking about planning for people's retirement portfolios. How long does their portfolio need to last? Well, if they've got a lot of money, it's going to have to last longer than the average, a lot longer because they've got a lot lot higher life expectancy. Now, this is also quite interesting because it also travels across continents and countries. So this slide here shows you the biological age for females and males who all have the same chronological age at 55 and it shows you per country. So if we look at the females here, you can see a Korean female has the biological age of a 50-year-old, and she's got the chronological age of 55. But a Russian woman who's had a harder life, she's got a biological age of about 59. 
So there's a good 10-year difference between those 55-year-olds. For men, the outcome is far more extreme. So you can see a Swedish 55-year-old man actually has the body of about a 47-year-old, whereas all that vodka in Russia has meant that the Russian guys now have um, a body of about a 67-year-old. So you're really talking almost like a 20-year gap for men at the age of 55. So this idea that life expectancy can be dealt with as an average life expectancy totally misses the point that actually your individual life, your individual experiences will have a massive influence on how long you live. And in case you can't see these graphs at home, the Australian women are doing all right. So their biological age is about 53. So we're about we're in the top third, but the Australian men are doing even better. Their biological age is 49, or about 49. Um, so you go, you guys, you're doing really well. But what we do know about life expectancy is that biological age and thinking about biological age is far more important than chronological age. And when we're planning for retirement portfolios, we need to know that it's far more complex than just simple average actuarial tables. Okay. So the next thing we want to talk about is average returns. So this is a graph I'm sure you are all very familiar with. If you've ever done a superannuation retirement calculator or you've ever seen a financial planner, this is a simple drawdown graph. What we've done here is taken a $300,000 portfolio. We've taken out a 5% drawdown index to inflation and we can see that our portfolio here lasts 41 years. The thing we know about averages is that that means 50% of the time the portfolio will last longer than 41 years and 50% of the time the portfolio will last less than 41 years. But that's okay. That's simple. We can explain that. And this is what we're telling retirees all the time. <clears throat> but let's look at the danger of using averages in decumulation in particular. because And the danger is it ignores sequencing risk. So here we've got an accumulation, two accumulation portfolios. We've got the blue one and the yellow one. Now, these portfolios have exactly the same average returns. They've got the same standard deviation, exactly the same risk. All we've done with these portfolios is reverse the order in which those returns happen. So that blue portfolio has all the good years at the beginning and then the bad years at the end, and the yellow portfolio has the bad years at the beginning and the good years at the end. But in accumulation, it doesn't matter. The same average portfolio will give you the same outcome. It just doesn't matter. But things look very different when you get to decumulation. So here we've taken the same portfolios and we've taken a modest drawdown rate of 3%. And you can see from that blue portfolio, they're laughing because their portfolio, even with all those drawdowns, is still worth more than what it started. But those people with that poor yellow portfolio, their portfolio has run out after 19 years of drawdown. So just going off average returns, if you flip the order of them, creates a very different outcome. And this is why we can't use averages when we're doing decumulation and drawdown portfolios. Another way of thinking about this is looking at it um, as the birthday lottery, as we like to call it. So what someone has done here is basically mapped out the performance of retirement portfolios depending on which year you retired. So the average retirement portfolio over all the years lasts about 30 years. So that's looking pretty good. And if you were lucky enough to retire in 1982, then you are incredibly lucky or your children are incredibly lucky because despite drawing down every year, your portfolio is 
you know, off the charts. It's worth more than $2 million now. But if you're one of the unlucky ones to retire in 1929 or 1940, then you can see that those portfolios are running out a lot sooner. And that's what retirees are really worried about. They aren't worried about getting a 1982 portfolio or a 1950 portfolio. They are desperately worried that their portfolio is going to act like a 1929 or a 1940 portfolio. And I don't even want to think about where this 2020 portfolio is going to be, but I'm pretty sure if you retire in 2020, you're not going to be above that dark blue line. So we need to stop talking about averages and start building confidence in our retirees by talking about worst cases. So before when we talked about our average portfolio, we were saying we had a 50-50 chance that the money would last that long. That doesn't feel very good to a retiree. They don't want a 50-50 chance their money is going to last. So what if we start started to talk to them about giving them a 95% chance that their portfolio is going to last? So why don't we start talking to them about some worst case portfolios? And what we've done here is modelled the same portfolio, but under some worst case scenarios. So here you've got a 95% chance that your portfolio will last 17 years or longer. Now that's the sort of confidence that retirees want to have in retirement. They don't want a 50-50 chance. They want to be super confident that their portfolio is going to last. But they're not going to be super excited about a portfolio that runs out after 17 years. So I know many people in retirement want to move to a conservative portfolio. So what does a conservative portfolio look like? Well, it gives you a 50-50 chance of having a portfolio that lasts 31 years or longer, and it gives you a 95% chance that your portfolio will last 19 years or longer. So now we're feeling more confident that our portfolio is going to last for a longer time. A conservative portfolio does do a lot better in that downturn scenario, but also not as great in the average scenario. So when we're thinking about constructing retirement portfolios, we really need to be thinking about two things. One is about maximising the average. We really want to get the average up there as high as we can, but we don't want to do that at the expense of reducing that worst case scenario. We want to be talking to retirees and giving them that confidence that no matter what happens, your portfolio is definitely going to last 21 years. It might last 37 years, but we are, you know, we're 95% sure that it's going to last 21 years. So to build a retirement-specific portfolio, you really need retirement-specific products. So in here in our retirement portfolio, we've modelled in the use of our product FutureSafe, which creates that confidence that the product will last in those down, or the portfolio will last in those downturn scenarios, but it doesn't reduce too much of that upside. So you can see there that yellow line, it's the best in that downturn scenario and it's in the middle there in that average scenario. So in a scenario that's thinking about retirement specific problems, sequencing risk being one of them, you can really see that by reducing that downturn, reducing that risk in that downturn scenario doesn't mean you have to trade away that upside in the average scenario. So retirement portfolio construction, you can't just rely on averages because it ignores that real risk of decumulation, which is that sequencing risk. So thinking about retirement, we know that retirees aren't average. They're not doing average activities. They're walking to Canberra and doing martial arts. We can't rely on average life expectancy because we have so much more information about them and we know that biological age is far more important than um, chronological age. And we can't rely on average returns because in decumulation, the impact of sequencing risks mean that average returns are useless pieces of information. 
So I'm going to pause there and ask the questions, but I'm going to throw you the challenge. When you're sitting at home tonight watching Netflix and scrolling through trying to find the next best thing to watch and Netflix is serving you all these recommendations that are personalised to you based on what you like to watch, how long you watch things for, your attention span, um, whether you like movies or series, and you wouldn't settle for an average recommendation from Netflix, why on earth do we solve and settle for average for retirees? I think we should be doing so much better than Netflix is because this is people's future that we're talking about. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Jackie. That's a, a fabulous presentation. And, um, you know, it, it really does hammer home that uh, so much, so often as an industry, we tend to um, think about averages and we actually forget uh, that there, there are clients involved at the end of the day. I mean, I think your presentation really, um, you know, brought back home the fact, um, you know, why we're all here and that is uh, for the end client at the end of the day. So uh, really appreciate that. And um, um, one question there, I, I believe we're making your slides available on our digital hub. Is that correct? You're happy for those slides? Okay. So if you, if you want to get the slides, please um, visit our digital hub because um thought there was some awesome slides in there so thanks for that presentation do you um we've only got a couple of minutes left um but uh based on your experience um you know working in the industry um even though it's on the product side i mean do, do you feel that um the industry is okay um not so good uh doing a terrible job or doing a fantastic job at um at uh, looking beyond the averages and, and thinking about individual clients what, and how could we do better? Um, I would say not so good in my experience. I think we are really, and I've spent a lot of time in the, in the advice space, um, and I think in that space we're really good at understanding people are individuals, but I don't think we've been really good at turning that into personalised outcomes that really um, can model that range of expected returns. We constantly just deliver average returns, average outcomes, um, and I don't think that really deals with the retirees' real underlying concerns, which is the worst case scenario. I mean, they're obviously all calling now in this crisis about this exact scenario. And if we had had better conversations with them and built portfolios around avoiding these worst case scenarios, then I think um, retirees would feel a lot more confident now. So I think we've we've been okay at understanding that that people are individuals, but I don't think we'd be good at turning that into the individualised um, range of returns and range of outcomes from an advice perspective. And I think it's been even harder when I look at a more institutional lens and the super funds, I think that we have been even less good on that regard. Um, we've traded away um, real information and real insights for simplicity. And I think we've done everyone a disservice in that regard. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, we, we, I mean, and, and to throw it into the context of, of the moment we're in, I know you've, you spoke briefly about that in terms of, you know, are we in a 1929 and 1940 environment right now? And um, I think certainly retiring at, uh, in 2020 must be a, um, you know, harrowing kind of moment to be a, uh, a retiree. Um, did you get the sense for from your interviews with retirees whether, um, you know, uh, the, the, the amount of fear, I suppose, that retirees had that there may be a drawdown and, um, and kind of, you know, whether that kept them up at night at that stage? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things there. One is um, we know that 50% of people have retirement happen to them, so they don't get to choose when they retire. And I think that number is going to go through the roof in the current environment. So these people that are um, basically finishing up work, aren't able to get more work, are going to have this double whammy of starting to draw down on the superannuation and an environment where you'd love to avoid drawing down on your super. Um, and also they're going to miss those extra years they thought they had to save up for their superannuation. So you're going to start, um, and I think there's going to be a, a wave of really of people who are really going to struggle in their retirement just because of timing and, and poor luck. Um, in terms of whether I get a sense that there's a lot of fear, absolutely. One of the people that we interviewed was John, and John was the guy that plays table tennis, and he um, has an intricate series of spreadsheets that he updates on a daily basis um, based on what the stock market is doing. And when we met him, it was early days, so the stock market was more volatile, but definitely not where it is now. And he was going in, you know, two or three times a day because he was very panicked about his portfolio, how it was going to perform and what he was going to do. So there's absolutely a real fear around that. And in my previous role, when I worked in technology, the biggest question we got from um, advisors was the and clients really was the ability to simulate what if there's another GFC. So I want to know what, what it's going to look like. Like, give me those worst case scenarios because I'm really worried about that. That keeps me awake at night. So we were mm. really trying to build out that ability to scenario plan. Yeah. Look, I think it's a real call out to financial advisors, but I, th I think also probably even more so to superannuation funds <clears throat> providing guidance to individuals um, who are near or close to retirement or even if they're not, I mean, to, to be able to engage with their clients better, to be more individualistic around the information they're providing um, and to, um, to look past the averages. Absolutely. I mean, the data that super funds have on their members and member bases is, is extraordinary. Um, and actually being able to take all that information and do what Netflix does and basically turn it into a specific piece of information just for Matt based on everything that I know for you, I think there's a real opportunity to get smarter about how we deliver those things. Yeah, great, Jackie. Look, I, I think we've just gone out of t over time there. So, look, I really appreciate that. And thanks so much for, for bringing it back to the individual. I think it was uh, really relevant and, um, you know, really compelling, actually. So, thanks very much and um, I appreciate your time. Over to you, you, LPB, in, um, in the studio. Thanks.